Amen. Well, good morning, church. Um, hopefully, uh, this morning, you feel a little closer-knit as a family. Uh, we actually thought about roping these off and saying they're reserved for no one, um, uh, just to keep you a little tight and more connected here. So, um, But my name's Tyler Hardy. I'm the lead pastor here at Antioch. If you missed a little earlier, you're wondering, hey, where is everybody? Um, well, it's raining, so some people sleep in. Um, two, there's no A&M football game going on, so people decided to get out of town. Uh, and thirdly, we have over 500 college students on a college retreat right now. So uh, 500 people signed up, which is a lot more than we thought were going to go. Uh, and they're loving it, having an amazing time. They're probably worshiping God and playing much football right now. So um, we'll see how they're doing. Um, uh, a couple of things I want to share with you is, um, one, just for fun, you know, this morning I was driving up here uh, to the church at 7 a.m. We're getting ready and go over my sermon and stuff. And when it's raining, I usually just kind of bring my undershirt and just kind of throw my other shirt on my shoulder. I just spent 20 minutes ironing it so it looked real nice for you this morning. Um, and I step out of my car, and it's raining, like pretty, pretty intense. And uh, all of a sudden, I feel this thing slip off my arm. I was like, oh, no. So there goes my really nice pressed shirt. So, of course, I call him my good buddy, Pletch. Hey, Pletch, you're about the same size. Why don't you throw a shirt in your car and bring it over to me? So I'm wearing Chris Pletcher's shirt this morning. <clears throat> Feel great about that. So um, there you go. He's a very fashionable guy, all right? So it pays to have fashionable friends, everybody. Um, well, we're continuing a series uh, called On Mission today. And um, I want to start off by sharing a little bit of my journey. Come out of college. I, I uh, graduated from Texas A&M in 2005. A whoop. Got any old five people? There's one. Okay. Um, and uh, with construction science, I went and got my first job in Waco at Whiting Turner Construction. So put the hard hat on, had the boots, I was ready to roll. And, you know, at 22 years old, I'm thinking, hey, these guys don't know what they're getting. I mean, they're getting an asset here. I mean, this, I'm going to be awesome, you know. And so I showed up to the job site, and, of course, you, you eat humble pie within 24 hours when you realize you actually are not sure if you learned anything the last four years that has to do with this job. Uh, and so I roll into this job, and I'm 22, and this is the construction world. And construction can be a little rough around the edges sometimes. Uh, and so I showed up, but, man, I was loving Jesus, and I wanted to be just a contributor. I remember when I graduated from college, I remember just kind of having this, 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 phrase from, <laughs> excuse me, this phrase from God, which essentially was, um, wherever you work and wherever you live, like, do it all for the glory of God. Wherever you work, wherever you live, Tyler, do it all for my glory. Do it all for me. And so I remember going to this job saying, okay, God, I'm a little insecure about this job, but I'm going to go all in. I'm going to try my best to be a helper and a contributor where this company actually says, hey, we're so glad you're here. And at the same time, I want to be salt and light, right? Like I want to be salt and light to the other guys I'm working with. And so um, I remember, you know, going on that journey and, and, and trying to figure that out. But as a recent grad, I wanted to be a missional person. And you know, in college, um, some of us have been on mission trips, right? And we talked last week about going on mission. And um, a lot of times when you go on a mission trip, you have this experience and you kind of get what that looks like. But then you come back home and you go, I don't really know how this all jives together. And, um, and, and you know, when you go on a mission trip, you go for two, two weeks or three months overseas. And, and it's, it, this, it's this amazing experience. But then you come back home, you're not really sure how do you stay missional. Right, because we somehow defined mission as you have to actually go somewhere else versus actually staying somewhere. That actually, the that the land underneath your feet, that the opportunity right before you is a missional opportunity. So today we're going to talk about how can we actually stay on mission 
as a people. Last week we talked about going on a mission. You can go with us, summer 2018. We're going, we're doing Engage the Islands. We're going to uh, take on the South Pacific and bring in Jesus and making disciples. But what's it look like for the other 99% of the year that you're here, right? Whether you're a student or your family, young adult, wherever you are in your stage of life, you have a mission here. And so, but staying on mission is a bit difficult to implement into our lives because it, we, we get in the routine of just the monotony. You like it's, it's like everyday routine, okay, I go to work here, I go to lunch, kids get picked up, I go to school, go to class, and you get in this routine. And so when you get into routine sometimes, you can kind of think, well, am I really doing anything? Am I really actually making a difference? And if I was to ask each of you this morning, do you want your life to matter? I think every one of you would say, yeah. Now, the second question would be, do you think your life does matter? That might be a different answer. We all want it to matter, but do we actually think that it does? Do we actually think that I'm really needed? Like, would anyone notice if I wasn't here? Maybe you've had that thought before. I've had friends that have really been discouraged and depressed before, and they had those thoughts. I don't know if anyone would ever miss me if I wasn't here. Can I just say that that's a thought from the enemy, that what he wants you to think is that actually you don't matter. But what God wants you to know and understand is that you do, that he made you with a specific purpose and a plan for your life. Now, at my job at Whiting Turner, I remember being a gung-ho Christian, all right? I'm, I'm a Christian construction worker. I'm ready to take on the construction industry. We're changing it for Jesus. You know, we're turning hard hats into offering baskets. I don't know what we're doing. We were, we were going to go. I'm in, you know? And so here I go. I'm all fired up. First few weeks on the job, I'm like, hey, all right, there's a guy. I'm going to pray for him. You know, it's kind of one of these rough, one of these rough plumbers. You know, plumbers can be rough sometimes. So I go up to this guy. He's an older man. I said, I, said, I think I, was, I forgot what his name was. Hey, Dan. Hey, Dan, man, I know I just mentioned stuff, but, man, I love Jesus, and I'd like to pray for you. He said, no thanks. I was like, what? That, did that just happen? Because, like, you know, at A&M, I got to pray for you? Okay, sure. I mean, everybody's kind of culture. You can't, like, diss prayer. It's like, oh, at least at the time. It's like, that's not acceptable. But this guy's like, no. I was like, I was thinking, did he not hear me? No, I think he heard me, you know. And I remember walking away from that thinking, now, why is this guy rejecting my offer to pray for him? Could be lots of reasons, but I boiled it down to probably a few, and I found in my life, this is usually true, he's actually not rejecting my offer of prayer. He's rejecting anything associated with something that's hurt him. He may have prayed and asked God for something in his life once. It didn't happen. He thought, well, God didn't hear me. He may have actually been part of a church one time where someone in the church hurt him or said something, misrepresented something. He may have grown up in a family that was very religious and very dogmatic and just, you know, Bible thumping, and he just wanted to get away from it. I don't know. But the truth is, I, once I realized, he's not actually rejecting me. He's rejecting an idea. He's rejecting an association with something. So then I said, so God, what do I do? And I determined myself on that job site and with that crew, I said, you know what? I can't change their past, but I can show them something different. I can show them a person who's a Christian that serves that works his tail off, that honors, that respects, that blesses. Like, I can show them a Christian who shows up to work on time, who puts in the extra hours, who's coming to learn, not trying to be arrogant, because I have a degree and a lot of these guys didn't. I can show them a different way, a Jesus way. And you know, to be quite honest, over the months, a lot of these different guys started softening. They started opening up. I get to talk with them. Instead of blowing me off, they give me 5, 10, 20, 30 minutes Sometimes it would open up about the four divorces they've been in or whatever because it's a rough crowd. And I remember just saying, yes, this is what it is to be on mission. 
you're just chipping away every day. So you're on a mission trip, you get that high, right? Because like, hey, we just went to this village, shared the gospel, 20 responded, we baptized 10 with Nalgene waters. I mean, it's like God is moving here, right? But then you're like, at work, you're like, I sit next to that guy all the time. He's still angry. He's still frustrated. He doesn't like his kids. He still curses. He still tells dirty jokes. This guy, nothing's getting through. You know, I haven't put, put scriptures up on my computer screen. He doesn't see it. You know I mean, <laughs> right? I know. That's like, oh, sticky note. Oh, I'm sorry. Did that get on your desk? You know, God loves you. Sorry. I just, what? You know, go for it. Be, be secretive. You never know. But it wasn't working because for me, though, I had to realize that my witness actually mattered and that they are watching you. You think you're insignificant? Think again. As soon as you sign up to be on the Jesus train, you're being watched now. One, the enemy wants to take you down. Because if he can take you down, then that gives him an argument to say, hey, it's all fake anyways. So the enemy's on your tail. And guess what? Other people who are not believers or maybe are on the fringe or have been hurt by the church or something, they're looking for you to fail them just like they got failed before. They're looking to mistrust you just as they lost trust with someone else. So you've got to prove them wrong. Some of you guys are motivated by different things. I'm motivated by proving someone wrong. I'm like, oh, really? We can do that, you know? It's like, you can't handle this. Yes, we can. I mean, I go to the grocery store. I kid you not, every time, I don't care what store I'm going to, I will get two to four comments from other fellow Americans that are like, wow, feel so sorry for you. You got four kids. Or, man, that's a handful. And, I, and a few times I've, I've snapped back and be like, I love my four kids. They're awesome. We're actually having a great time here. But in society, oh, four kids, you must be tired. Wow. How do you, how do you, did you plan on that many? Or, you know what I'm saying? Oh, my gosh. I'm like, hello. Like, I love my kids. Do they stress me out at times? For sure. But I'm not going to walk through life, boo-hoo, I've got four kids, I can't go to the grocery store. It's like, oh my, no. We need to be people to say, society says this, and we raise it. I'm stressed out with one? Okay, that's great. Let me help you in the journey here. Guess what? You can have four and still be peaceful and enjoy life and have a life. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this is what we, that's just one area. But guys, we've got to understand, you are being watched, and if you do what the rest of society does, there is no difference. They don't, they don't see any. There may be a difference in your private life. People don't see your private life. That's why it's private. They need to see your public life. They need to see your public and private actually match up. They need to see that you're authentic and have integrity at home and at work and when you're playing and when you're at the restaurant. The waiter needs to have the same respect you give your life group leader. Do we treat people in a way that we could say, no, I'm salt and light 24-7. From what I wash to what I do to how I live to how I talk to dinner table conversation to my best friend conversation, right? Is it salt and light? And if you do that, if you understand, wow, God has put me in such a position that I am valuable all day, every day. There's an opportunity to demonstrate my love to him, to give him glory, an opportunity to pull others into the kingdom. You start seeing your life just a little different. Now, a lot of times when we go on these mission trips, we experience a bit of a letdown when we come back, you know. You get that mission trip high. Oh, that was amazing. You come back, you're like, oh, back to the day job, you know. And I get it. And sometimes it's because on a mission trip, you're really focused on just 
one task and you're going for it. Or, you know, you pull distractions aside, the emails, the projects, the family issues. You're just like, hey, just for these two weeks, man, I'm going here. My focus is here, not about all the peripheral stuff. And that's really helpful. But I think a lot of times why there's a big letdown is because we don't, we go on a mission and then we come back home and it's hard to stay on mission because we don't really understand our worth in God. We don't really understand how valuable we really are to him and actually to our city. And if you think you're not valuable to our city, and if you think you're not valuable to God, then I, I don't know what to tell you. You don't have much purpose. But if you understand actually my value in God and I'm valuable in my city, then you get up in the morning a little differently, right? In Romans chapter 8, turn your Bibles there. <coughs> Excuse me. Romans 8, um, verse 13 through 17. Says this, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, just for context, this is a letter that the Apostle Paul is writing to Christians in Rome. And as he's writing this letter, up to this point in the letter, as we get in here to chapter 8, he has never mentioned the phrase sons or daughters or children of God at all. So this is a bit of a turn from, hey, we're servants and everything to, wait a second. Sons and daughters, heirs with Christ, children of God, this is a new concept. He's, he's putting in, he's going deeper with the people he's writing to, he's going deeper with us. So let's unpack this for a minute. In verse 13 to 14, it says, when you are led by the Spirit, you know what that means? That means that you are being led by the Spirit. You're not leading, he's leading, right? Like, we're not the ones leading. Hey, Holy Spirit, I'd like to do this, <clears throat> Can I do that? Nuh-uh. Hey, lead me. Show me, right? It's not Jesus isn't following us. Jesus isn't trying to catch up with our lives. Hey, where are you going? Oh, can I come along with that? Can I, can I hitch a ride with you to this job opportunity, to this place? No, no, no. We're being led by him. So if we live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That's kind of an intense verse, right? If you live according to the flesh. Um. You see, putting the, the, the deeds of the body, another way to kind of phrase that would be sins. The deeds of the body, the, the, the deeds of the flesh. And so when we talk about, at this passage, he talks about us being children, adopted, sons and daughters of God. He'll go into that in just a moment. We cry out, Abba, Father. Um, why is it that our, that our association here, he's saying that the evidence of you being children of God is that you actually have an equal distaste for sin? Right? So, if God is our Father, then we're supposed to take on the preferences and priorities of the Father, right? It's like, God, what do you like? Okay, I want to like that. Right? God, what do you not like? I don't want to like that. Right? So, for instance, in the Hardy family, we have the Hardy family mission statement. This is how it goes. As Hardys, we love, honor, and serve with joy. We love, we honor, and we serve with joy. We have it on our refrigerator. 
we got a sign, and we say it often. When I need to pull the kids together and we're all getting out of hand, we have a little powwow with Dad in the living room. We get in there and tell them, who are we, guys? Evelyn, what do we do? We love, honor, serve, and joy. Graham, what do we do? We put our hands in. Come on, one, two, three, Hardys, let's go. This is us. This is who we are as Hardys. Do we lie? Do we cheat? Do we steal? No. Do we hurt people? No. Do we steal from our brothers? Do we not be selfish? No. This is who we are. I'm not highlighting who we're not. I'm highlighting who we are. Because when you highlight who you are, it also reminds you, oh, this is the value system we're carrying. So when we go to a baseball game, I'm coaching my son's team. We're in the car driving back. One of my sons says, hey, Dad, one of the kids in their team was, like, saying mean things to some of our players. He was making fun of people, and he was using words I know we're not supposed to use. I said, well, buddy, what do you think about that? He said, I don't know. I think, he said, I don't know if he knows Jesus. I said, I think you're right. He probably doesn't know Jesus. He doesn't know that those things aren't okay. He doesn't know how to honor and value people. But I said, but buddy, you don't need to do that, do you? He said, no, Dad. I said, that's not me. I said, why not? He said, that's not how God's told us to act. My son is trying to capture the father's ways at eight years old. This is how we do things, Dad. We don't make fun of kids. We don't talk smack. We don't, that's not how we do it. And I tell my kids, you know what? I don't care if everybody at your school is doing this. We're not doing that. I don't care if everybody on your sports team says it's okay. That's great. We're not doing that. We can bless them, and we're not in charge of their family, buddy. I just want to speak to the parents in the room. You're not in charge of other families. Don't try to control them. Don't try to change. Y'all should dress this or not wash it. Whatever. If it's always someone else's idea, you're never going to own it. When it's your idea, you'll clean house real quick. Right? I mean, you just, it's like, hey, God spoke to me. All right, we're done. I mean, there is no question. Right? But someone else's idea, when it gets tough, or you start, oh, I wish we had that still. Man, I wish we wouldn't listen to them. Right? But no, I want our kids to own it. I want them to know this is how the Hardys run things. And when we are children, we are adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God, guess what? Then we are to be those that get in line with his priorities and his preferences. John 13, 35 says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. See, if we understand that we have been made in the image of God and that God's desires for his goodness, for his kingdom to come, for people to, to know him and to, and to come into relationship with him, and that free gets us salvation, that it cleanses us from all sins, then we have a chance to change our view on this world and start seeing it through his eyes, right? When you receive the free gift of salvation, guess what happens? You then are saying, I want to transfer my old ways. I want to be done with that. I want to take on a new self in a new way, which means I need to see things how you see them. When you operate as a son or a daughter, then you see sin in our town. And it bothers you. Right? Like you, you'll be at the store and you see a mom screaming at her kid. You're like, he's three years old. Give the guy a break. And she's going irate. Or you're at the restaurant and, you know, someone's just berating some waiter. And it's like, this guy's making eight bucks an hour. He's just got on the shift. It's not his fault. And they're just unloading, you know. And you're thinking, wow, there's like sin in our city. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of, there's a lot of pain, you know. It should bother us. Now, the, the truth is, we can't always go in and make things right. We're not here to control. We're not here to do that. But we are not also here just to be silent all the time either. Right? We have to be people that actually where things happen in our city, it bothers us. What can you do? You can pray. You may have to step in at times and say, hey, that's not right. 
I've had to step in before in a public setting with a situation going on and kind of help fend people off and be like, we're not doing that here. Stop a fight or whatever, you know. You take a chance getting swung at yourself. But it's like, well, I'm not just going to sit here and let everything else go unravel. It's like, i got to stand for something, you know. we got to be people actually stand up and say, we stand up for righteousness, even though people may not even know what that is. And I just want to say that for us, you know, sometimes we look at the things in our city and you're like, oh, this is wrong, this is off. And you can't change everything, but you can do something. You can do something. That's why we're the body of Christ. I don't need one of you to do everything. If we just, all of us just do something, then we actually start seeing transformation happen in our city. But if five of us are doing something, that's not going to cut it. You got to have the masses saying, no, we're in. We're in together. We're all going to take our slice of the pie and do that well. You know, when you know that you're adopted by God, when you're a son or a daughter, um, then you have great value of great meaning, right? Like, you know who you are and you know where you've come from. Therefore, in, in, in day-to-day living, you're not grasping to prove yourself to someone, or to your boss even. You're not grasping for favor. You're not grasping for acceptance from every friendship circle. You're actually quite secure in God. And you're like, hey, this is who I am. And I'm growing in alignment with God. And I want to take you know, uh, brotherly correction and, and, and encouragement along with me in the journey. But I'm not here to try to prove something to you, try to earn your favor. I'm going to walk the narrow way with God and trust as I align my life with his that things are going to get sorted out. And, but yet, if you don't know that you actually have great value in him, you end up living life just always trying to, you, you feel anxious. You, you feel anxious and you feel like I'm just grasping for something, for some meaning. You know, when Jesus died on the cross and he said, hey, you can come to me. I'll take your sins. I'll take them away. It wasn't that we would just have an eternal home. Like the gospel message is not, wow, now I punched my ticket into heaven, this amazing place God's creating. That's a huge part of it, obviously, and that's the longer part, right? I mean, that's eternity. But there's also a part here, which is it is for us to live a full, abundant life now. Not just in heaven. That's a guaranteed. There's no crying. There's no hate. There's no anger. There's no nothing that's negative or sinful or wrong in heaven, but we still got that here on this planet. And so what does it look like for us to be people to say, no, we're actually going to live and experience this full, abundant life here and now with Jesus, which means he has to start with you seeing the mission right in front of you. Um, you know, Paul, when he writes, we did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but the spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. We did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear in verse 15, but the spirit of adoption as sons. You see, slaves carry self-pity. A slave mentality carries self-pity, but a son mentality carries confidence. It's confident. I didn't say arrogance. Confident. Jesus was very confident because he knew his father. He knew what his mission was. He knew who he was. He knew where he's come from. He knew what he was supposed to do. He was confident of that. He wasn't arrogant. He didn't have pride. He was confident, and yet he was also the most humble man to walk the earth. He had humility and confidence at the same time. Why? Because he was secure in who he was. If you know your value in God, you then can know that today's assignment at this job or in this class or with this roommate or this situation I can own that really well. You know why? Because I know who my father is. I know what he sent me to do. I'm here to do that mission, to do that piece well. You know, if we can grasp the, 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 the concept 
that as we live in Bryan College Station, as long as you're here, and some of you guys are here for another six months, you're graduating. Some are here, you're freshmen, you got four more years. Some are families. Some of you guys are saying, hey, I want to make Bryan College Station my home. We'd love to have you. But no matter where you live, no matter what you do, you've got to understand that God has a mission for you right then in that season. You cannot wait around until one day when you're mature, which all of us are really immature. Let's, let's, let's be honest, right? I mean, we all have issues. We're like, yeah, that's still immature. I mean, 10 years from now, you're going to say, why do you used to do that? I mean, you know, like we're all in the process. So you'll never arrive at like that state where you're like, oh, now I can really contribute. Right? Oh, when I get married, now I can really contribute. Oh, when I own the business, I can really then influence kingdom values into people. But what about at 22, your first job? Like, what about in school right now? What about if you're in high school right now? What about right now? Because what you have to remember is that people are watching you to see what does it look like to have the life of God inside of you. Does it actually mean anything? Does it actually change anything about you or the way that you do life? You know, but sometimes we think that um, we have to be at a certain stage in life or a certain job or a certain location before we can really have a big impact, right? I remember a, a verse that really is a guiding verse to me growing up was 1 Timothy 4.12. Let no one look down on you. Let no one look down on your youthfulness. But rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. If you're young, that's okay. If you're young, whatever that means, whatever circle you're in, you may be young or the old person, depending who you're running around with, right? But if you think, oh, I'm too young, then take encouragement from this. Paul writing to his disciple Timothy, really a son, a spiritual son to him in the Lord, saying, hey, let nobody look down upon you because you're young. You know, a lot of young people have changed the world. They've shaped it. Um, but if they're convinced that they actually have no part to play until you get older, then you miss out on that. There is something beautiful that happens in the church when you have the zeal of the youth and the wisdom of the old merging together. That's what we need, church. I mean, we need it at our church. We have a lot of college students, and we love that. And there's a lot of zeal and a lot of passion. And we have a lot of people that are empty nesters and families that have wisdom. And we're trying to figure out, man, how do we transfer that? Because when those things start working together, oh, that's a beautiful picture. And it's not that if you're older, you don't have passion or zeal. Those days are gone. It's not that if you're young, you're just, you don't have any wisdom. That's not what I'm saying. But what we need to do is to lean in on each other and say, hey, if we're actually going to take this city on and actually be a missional people, what's it look like to do it together? Meaning that it starts with you owning your little slice of the pie here and doing that well. You know, as we close today, I, um, I kind of just wanted to end with sharing four testimonies with you because sometimes we just don't understand how impactful our day-to-day jobs are uh, or where we live or where we work. Okay, so I want you to stand up. And uh, I'm going to read these testimonies to you, hopefully stir your faith up a little bit as the band makes your way up here. So again, just with the idea of knowing that, in, in a lot of ways, you can maybe say it this way, that if, if you've been chosen by God and you're an adopted son or daughter, you've been selected by him, right, then God chooses to send you. And he may send you overseas for a trip. A few of you may be long-term missionaries. That's awesome. But the majority of you are not going to be long-term missionaries in that idea that we think. But I heard someone say once, every Christian is a missionary. Every Christian is a missionary. It just means that your location, your vocation, what you do day-to-day looks a little different than someone else that you may traditionally think. 
But really, we're all called to be part of the Great Commission, right? And so if God has called you, he sent you, but maybe he sent you to stay. Like maybe God has actually sent you to stay. He's called you by name. He's called you out of darkness into light. And he said, now I'm sending you now to stay in this location, in this department. I remember years ago, God was speaking to us about what's the future of our church look like. And God kept knocking the door and saying this thing about, what if we had people in every neighborhood? What if we had one person in every apartment complex? What if we had one teacher in every department, at every school? What if we had one student in every department at A&M and at Blend? What if we had one person in every industry, banking to healthcare to education? What if we had representative salt and light? Because, you know, when you walk down a dark alley, it only takes one flashlight. And it lights the whole thing up. What if we had people everywhere that were saying, I'm going to play my part. And my part is to stay on mission right here and right now. To do it to the fullest. There's four testimonies here, stories of men and women in our church that are doing their part. Stephen Cordemont wrote to me and said, I, I run a small app development company. And I primarily serve clients that are in different parts of the U.S. and abroad. And aside from blessing people with awesome apps, which they are, a kingdom customer experience, and blessing a few individuals with great part-time work, I've had many opportunities to directly advance the kingdom in and through my business. Because I work remotely, I've been able to greatly increase my service level to the young adult ministry. More discipleship, more investment in planning and prep, and more prayer. I've had many opportunities to pray with business owners, my clients, both small and large, and encourage them with words and the hope of the gospel. Carissa Lowy, a mom in our church, she said a few years back, y'all at Antioch were playing a video about the college students going on mission trips, and the testimonies were pouring in. And I remember sitting there that Sunday feeling jealous and feeling regret how I'd spent my college years. The Lord clearly spoke to me that moment. The man next door to you, Carice, doesn't know me. The man who lives next door is my husband's dad. I freaked out because I feel like it's easier to witness to strangers across the world than to a man that I have to share Thanksgiving with. Hope walk up. She said, the first morning of her new student orientation, I offered one of my international classmates a ride. When I went to pick her up, she had another international friend with her. Then at lunch, somehow we picked up two more. Before I knew it, I was rolling with a posse of four international friends, helping them download software and finding them business professional clothes for picture day. Continued friendship with them over the course of this semester resulted in the opportunity to share the full gospel with them over lunch last week. They, they, came, they came from a closed country. They have never heard the gospel before now. And at least two of them are eager to learn more about God. Alex Gary, I'm a teacher at Rudder High. In my fourth year of teaching, I've had the chance to impact lots of students in various ways. Sometimes it feels like it's not much of an impact, but just the sheer fact that I have to be the center of the attention for young people for about an hour every day gives me a lot of influence. We share good things in class every Monday and every Friday, so I get to be bold and share as much as I can. One year after our spring break mission trip, I told testimonies of how people got healed, and two students ended up getting healed when I prayed for them that day in class, one wrist and one lower back. My students last year got to hear about my entire relationship with my now fiancé from the first date through how I proposed. All those students now have a clear example of how to pursue someone in an honorable and pure way. Other students have been taught how to fighting, taught how to respond to criticism and negative influences, and they've had a change in conviction just through being in class with me. 
I've also had the opportunity to share the gospel clearly with numerous students, either in class or when they come because of very difficult situations. They've been encouraged, heard the voice of God, or even given their lives to Jesus right there in class. An hour a day for nine months can change someone's life. I want to end with that one because I think God's wanting to speak this this morning that an hour a day. A lot of us are doing school or working or stay-at-home moms for eight, nine hours a day. You've got this kind of rhythm, 40, 50 hours a week. But what if you just started singing a little differently? But God's called me to stay on mission now. And if I would just not get distracted and go through the motions, actually say there's purpose in what I'm doing right here today, then actually which I think you'll begin to see is that there's lots of opportunities in front of you you've just been missing. God's not short on opportunities, right? The harvest is plentiful. It's the labors that are few. That passage is not just about people being sent out into the harvest into China or North Korea. That passage is also about the reality that we have lots of laborers who maybe are just missing the harvest that's right around them. So God, we just pray that you would show us the harvest. God, we ask that you would show us that we can be a missional people right here and right now. So I just want us to take a moment and we're just going to ask God, God, would you show me where I'm not on mission with you here in this city right now? Show me, God, what I've been missing. Show me that I've, what, what, what have I overlooked? I think God wants to speak to us this morning about just to change our focus a little bit. And for some of us, it may be that you just need to understand that you are a son or daughter, that there's an inheritance for you. And that he's adopted you and he said, hey, you're mine. And I want you not just to live my value system, but I want you to let it shine. And I want you to know that you matter. That where you are, where you work, where you live, that matters. And I put you there for a purpose. So God, would you speak to us again, just in a fresh way, as we go into a time of worship. I just want you to close your eyes and just ask God, God, speak to me about who I am. And God, speak to me about what I'm doing. We're going to worship Jesus.